Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here or you've been a regular follower of ours, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Welcome. I welcome you coming from online all over the world, whether it be SoundCloud or YouTube or wherever you're coming from. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, If this is your first time here, I need you to know something. I hope you didn't come here to be entertained. This is not a church where you're going to be entertained. This is not a church where you're going to hear things that you want to hear. You're going to hear things here that you you need to hear. I was just having a conversation uh, as I was working yesterday on my school bus job with a lady, and she asked me what we do, and I told her, and I said, yeah, I'm not really that popular because, uh, well, you know, I I teach the Bible and teach people the things that they need to hear, not that they want to hear. I'm not like the average preacher of this day and age where we're facing the great apostasy. I'm standing strong and standing true in there. Anyway, this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys want to join me, please, with a word and uh, ask God to bless our hearts and help us to understand, help us to hear and be doers of the Word, most importantly of all. Lord, thank you for all that you do for everybody on earth, Lord, for your word says that your reign and, you know, we could say your provision falls on the evil and the good. For, Lord, that's what you were meaning. Rain in their culture then, Lord, was was vital for their crops to grow. So without rain, they wouldn't have food. Without food, they would starve. And so really, Lord, you your, your goodness of provision falls on the evil and the good, Lord God. The good because, Lord, you want to bless us because you want to take care of us. The evil... Well, you want to show them that you're good um, so that they would turn to you and that they would become good. Not that we could be good on our own, but that they could be good, uh, become good in Christ Jesus as those that are good now are not good on their own. They're good in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask you to help us understand your word today by your Holy Spirit. Ask us, Lord, ask you, Lord God, that you would please help us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well, Lord God, as the doer of the word is the one that is blessed, not the hearer only. Pray, dear God, that you would help us that are yours to know you more, grow stronger in you through this message. And Lord, those that are listening that are not yours, I pray that you would call them even stronger today than yesterday to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. The title of our sermon today, The Gospel Call of Christ. Pretty Straightforward, and this whole section of Scripture is uh, one where, where you'll see that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 20, or 32, excuse me. We're going to cover the whole chapter. Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 32. Now, for time's sake, normally I always read the section of Scripture before, but you know, normally it's five or ten verses, one verse, two verse, three verses. I'm not going to read all the whole chapter and then go back and study the whole chapter. For, so for time's sake, I'm just going to read the chapter while I'm going through the chapter and I'm teaching the chapter. It is what I do when, uh, when there's such a long section of Scripture. Normally, about 99% of the time, I always read it, but in cases like this, I'm not going to. So, are you ready? Let's go. Acts chapter 26, 1 through 32. Uh, before I read, last week I just have a little bit of a you know, recap here. Last week we read of King Agrippa coming to greet the new governor of uh, Caesarea, which is Festus. He's the brother-in-law of the governor Felix, the one he replaced. And after they were together for some days, again, we don't know how many, but some days, maybe a few, maybe a week, Festus decides to talk to Agrippa about Paul's case because he, uh, the Caesarean council, and Felix had all held trials between the Jews and Paul, and they had all found him innocent while the Jews still insisted that he was guilty. The Jews still insisted that he'd be put to death for what he did. And of course, Paul being innocent, he, fest, you know, he, Um, Festus had a problem, okay? Paul had asked to go to Nero Caesar's judgment um, because, you know, Festus just basically wanted to do the Jews a favor and send him back to Jerusalem because they were going to ambush him on the road and kill him. So, of course, Paul is innocent. He knows he can't really keep him in prison because he's an innocent man, but he tries to send him back to Jerusalem. Paul declines and says, no, I want to go back. I want to go to Caesar. 
I don't want to be judged by Caesar. So, so Hephaestus, though, has a problem. He doesn't have any charges of wrongdoing or a list of crimes against Paul worthy to send Paul to Caesarea for a judgment. Festus needed some kind of charge to tell Nero of concerning Paul. Otherwise, Caesar might not be that happy with him. So uh, Agrippa listening along, and here's all of this stuff that Festus is telling him. Agrippa is interested, tells Festus that he wanted to listen to Paul and his case so that he could help Festus out, you know, and find a charge against Paul uh, so that, you know, they could both send Paul to Caesar with some charges. So today in our section of scripture, that's what the stage has been set. It's the next day. We studied that last week at the end of our section. It is the next day after after Festus and Agrippa have this conversation. There's an auditorium. It's full. It's Agrippa. It's Festus. Agrippa's sister, Bernice. Again, we we think he was incestuous with her. That doesn't matter. But then there's a whole auditorium full of basically the rich and famous. The rich and famous of Rome. The rich and famous of Caesarea. The rich and famous and powerful. And so that's where we open up with today. Everyone's come in, everybody's sat down, and then we get to our verse 1. Read verse 1 and listen to how Paul defends himself against the accusations of the Jews. Verse 1, the first part of verse 1 that is, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Last week's section of scripture ended with Paul being brought into the auditorium, and now, as was custom, Agrippa, who was the most important and prominent person that was there, being the king, right, of the whole region, gives him the okay to start speaking. This is normal. Paul would have had, if he would have started to speak before this, it would have been rude. Agrippa would have said this, and then probably the whole auditorium would have gotten kind of quiet because Agrippa gave the word you know, to say go. It's kind of like the Agrippa was the one to give the, the fire, you know, for the Olympics or for a running match. They'll, they'll shoot a gun in the air. They'll shoot a little pop gun in the air, and everybody hears the pop, and then they'll go, okay, shh, shh quiet. Oh, so that was kind of Agrippa. So now that he's got the okay to speak, he says the rest of the time here, he starts out. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. What's well, a well-known fact, both Jews and Italians, because I'm an Italian, we always like to speak with our hands. And so there we see Paul opens up before he says a word. He, he lifts up his hands to kind of motion, you know, speaking with his hands. Look what he says first in his defense. Look at verses 2 and 3. I think myself happy. So he's, he's excited. He, he's ecstatic. He's abundantly happy, overjoyed, I'm sure. Uh, he says, I, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today, I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jew. Paul explaining his joy of being able to talk to Agrippa specifically, of course, but also the whole auditorium full of people, of course, to defend himself against the evil things that the Jews had spoken about. But can you think of another reason why he was also probably really ecstatic and happy and abundantly overjoyed and, and, and just out of his mind? I can. He, he got a huge stage to talk to a whole lot of people about Jesus Christ. Paul, God did this with Paul several times throughout his ministry. And here, he's never been in a situation where he's had such an, let's just say, an influential audience. You know, most of his audiences have been, you know, philosophers or, or groups of Jews or, you know, even some high important Jews, but, but, but they wouldn't have still in society measured up with the pomp, with the, with the, with the spectacularness of who was here at this auditorium. And here again, he's not just talking to anybody. This was the king of the region, Festus, the governor. And remember all the prominent men and women of the area. It wasn't every day that Paul or I or anybody gets to talk to a, a, a whole auditorium full of people that generally are kind of what you'd call the untouchables of our society. They're, they sit above the you know our society. They don't mingle with people, yet here Paul is. He's got a stage, and man, he's, he's excited. Um, Paul wasn't scared to speak to dignitaries uh, about Jesus Christ. And Jesus even said there would be coming where they would put you before kings and, 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 and groups and this, that, and the other thing. And, and he says, but don't worry about what you're to say, for the Holy Spirit will give you those words. Well, Paul wasn't scared. We shouldn't be scared. And so, you know, God gives us a stage. We need to take that stage, too, if we're walking with Christ, if we're born again, and, of course, if we're abiding in him. 
So keep reading verse 3. He goes on to say, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. He tells Agrippa here that he was happy to speak with him uh, to him because he knew a lot about the Jewish culture, right? He he was kind of like uh, he was a Roman. He was a hundred percent Roman supporter. He he wasn't even a partial Jew. He he was a Roman dude. You know, he worked for Rome, one hundred percent. You know, one hundred percent supporter of Rome, but he was partial. To the Jews, and he was a supporter of the Jews. He was a voice of the Jews. He was such a voice of the Jews, so much did he know about the Jews, so 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 important were they to him that in fact some of his own subjects, his Roman subjects, were not happy with him because of his favor that he gave to the Jews, that he had with the Jews. And so he 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 supported. He would give money to Jewish cities to help them out, to help them support themselves, to build new things and so on and so forth. So he, he kind of, you know, Paul notices this here. Hey, I know, th- I know you, Agrippa. You're not, you know, you don't hate the Jews. Like so many, so many in today are anti-Semitic. But Agrippa, he wasn't anti-Semitic. He, he, he had a love for the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish. Paul notices that. And of course, he, he gives them that praise. He gives them the praise where praise was due. Paul, notice here, gives Agrippa some praise similar, though, to the orator Tertullus, to Felix, like he did to him when the Jews came to accuse Paul before him. The difference, though, here, notice in Paul's case, being that his praise to Agrippa was not filled with smooth and flattering words meant to make him, you know, or Agrippa feel good just so that Paul would get a favorable judgment. Paul was being kind and respectful to Agrippa, and he basically just told him how he felt. Hey, I, and, and Paul wasn't just lifting him up because, you know, smooth, smooth, and, uh, smooth words, flattering words that weren't true. Agrippa really was a man that loved the Jews. He, he didn't hate them. He helped them. He, he was an advocate for them. And so Paul just pointing that out, the truth. And, of course, being respectful and kind, which, by the way, is the way Christians are supposed to be towards everyone that we come in contact with, whether rich and famous or poor and lowly or whatever. There are a group of a whole group in this country of America of these street preachers that, that think that they go out and they call people horrible names. These, these people that are lost and dead in their sins and, and in their sinnings. And then so instead of reaching these people with, with respect, like God would say, reach like Paul did here, a 100% Roman guy, not even a Jew. Paul reached him with respect, right? And, and kindness. These people go out and call people that are lost and dead in sins horrible names. Christians, that is not the way we're supposed to do things. That is not the godly way that God told us to do things. Anyway, on to Paul's defense, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read a couple verses, make some comments, read a couple verses, because we got a lot of verses to study over today. Verses 4 through 7. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. That's important. I'll point that out in a minute, but notice what he just said there. I'm going to tell you right now, that's very important. Verse 5. They know me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. You see, Paul repeating to Agrippa similar words as in his other trials. He he tells Agrippa that he was born a Jew. Of course, he was born... We know a Jewish man, you know, into Jewish lineage, but born in Tarsus, which was a city of the region of Galatia. It wasn't a Jewish city, right? It was a Roman city. Rome had annexed it, making Paul a Roman citizen. We covered that a few sermons back. But at an early age, remember, his family sent him to Jerusalem to become a Pharisee, and he sat under the teaching of Gamaliel, and he was one of the greatest and most respected Pharisees of all time. And he points out to Agrippa here, he tells him that the Jews would affirm all these things of his early life being, remember, this is why it's important, Paul speaking the truth in his defense, gave Agrippa actual evidence that he could go and search out and actually find. Unlike the Jews who, remember, they made accusations against Paul that could not 
be proven. And so Paul, standing on the truth, just telling Agrippa, hey, here's how I grew up. These are the things, and you know what? The Jews, they all know, and they can testify to these things, even though they're my enemies and they want to kill me. They would even say these things were true about me. Verse 6, now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. That promise, of course, being of God's promised Messiah that was foretold of in the ancient text of the Bible, right? The whole, which, what, what Christians would know as the whole Old Testament of our Bible. And this was God's promised Messiah, the one to come to bring salvation to the Jews first, then the Gentiles, and this being the guy that Paul believed preached that had come to be none other than Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus Christ, of course. And they were all aware that Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. So as Paul's giving his defense here, and as he's telling him about the hope of Israel, and as he's going to talk to him about this as we go on, keep in mind they all know that Paul is probably the biggest Christian in the whole world at this time. His name is probably known over the whole world more than anybody else's name. Paul is a powerhouse for Christ. And so hear him saying this, even though he doesn't say the name Jesus Christ, it's implied because they all know he was a very, uh, like I said, he had, he, had a, he had a big name in the world. Paul tells him here that he was being judged because of this hope, of course, that he had in the Messiah. Again, that being that they all knew and, believe, and he believed and taught that it was Jesus the Christ. Verse 7, to this promise our 12 tribes earnestly served, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. The Jews did earnestly desire to attain to the hope of the promised Messiah and the salvation only offered in him. But sadly, uh, as we know the story already, they missed the boat as far as attaining it with Jesus the Christ or the Messiah because they missed Jesus Christ altogether. They missed Jesus Christ. Listen now, this is important. This is an important point of verse 7. They missed Jesus Christ as being the Messiah because they served God day and night hoping to attain the salvation of the promised Messiah. Why would I say that? Why would I say that they missed Jesus Christ because they served God day and night, wanting, hoping to get this, well, this salvation, right? Well, the Jews, as most people of the world, even still today, but I'm going, just going to talk past tense here, the Jews, as most people of the world, wanted to work for their salvation and relationship with God and not go to God in faith. So not by the way that God laid down to attain a relationship with, with God. Abraham believed in God and it was, or he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham did X, Y, Z, then he jumped and did some backflips and then jumped through some hoops and then God said, all right, because of your religion, now you're saved. No, salvation does not come by works. It comes through grace, through faith. Faith is how God tells us that everyone can be saved by his Messiah, Jesus Christ, not by their working hard to please God. There's dangerous religion and there's right religion. Dangerous religion, Luke 13, 24. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. Why? Many will seek to enter but won't be able to. And there are many reasons why they won't be able to. But one of the greatest reasons is because they're trying to attain eternal life by their striving, by their works, their striving of their works in order to get to heaven. For as I just said, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the way to God is through turning to him and trusting in him by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Again, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not Abraham did bad religion and did all this religion, and then, you know, after so many years, he finally pleased God, and God said, oh, okay, fine, all right, you've done enough good things, 
Come on, Abraham, you're okay in my eyes. Anyway, get back and getting back to our sermon, our verses. The rest of verse seven, pick up the word for. There's a kind of a long, long mess, not of a long verse there. Pick up the, at the word for, verse seven. For this hope's sake, again, hope in Jesus Christ, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. The Jews were judging me, or are judging me, he says, and I'm accused for the hope that I have in the Messiah. And we all know that. You guys all know I love Jesus Christ. Again, the Jews didn't like Paul's hope in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because they wanted salvation by their good works and by their keeping of the law of Moses, not by Jesus Christ, not by faith in him, not by surrender to him and him alone. They didn't want that. Paul finishes up his thought here. Idea, verse 8. He finishes out and he says, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead. The apostles witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul met the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the Jewish scriptures even taught, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit here, the Jewish scriptures even taught that the Messiah would live, then die, then rise from the dead, and the Jews said they believed their holy Bible. Again, it wasn't the Christian Bible now, it was their holy Bible it was the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, and they said that they believed it. Now, if that's the case, and they believe their Holy Bible, then why would it be so hard for them, or even Agrippa, to believe that Jesus, who professed to be the Messiah, who did all of those exact things proving himself to be God's foretold Messiah, why would it be so hard for them to believe those things from their Bible? Well, it wasn't, let me answer. It wasn't hard, and, they, and it's not that they didn't believe it. It was that they didn't want to admit it, and they didn't want to accept it. You see, accepting, admitting those things would happen to the Messiah, and then admitting and accepting that Jesus fulfilled those things would mean that they would have to follow and surrender to Jesus Christ as by faith, as uh, the Bible speaks about. And, and they just simply didn't want to do that because they would have had to give up their powerful and importance among the people who follow their religion. It's the same reason people today reject almost all the hard ideas of the Bible about Jesus Christ and, and, and the miracles, the virgin birth. He's the only way to heaven. People, if they, 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 they must deny it, if they don't deny it, they got to accept it. If they accept it, then they realize, well, then you know what? That's got to mean something in my life. And if they admit it and accept it, then that would mean they had, they'd have to actually turn to Jesus Christ because they'd have to admit, wow, you know, he's greater than me. This is his way, not my way. And most won't because they want to live their lives for themselves and they want to live their lives the way they want to. It's so, so, so sad. So many people reject or turn away from God because they want to live their own lives and they don't want to admit and believe in the things of Christ. Getting back to Paul's speech, to a possible surprise twist to Agrippa. As everyone there knew, Paul believed, preached, and worshiped Jesus as the Messiah. He goes on to tell Agrippa, verses 9 through 11, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. He tells him that he himself did not always believe in Jesus as being the, the Christ or the Messiah, right? And that he stood against him, unlike how he was like, Christ's number one promoter throughout the whole world. Now, this might have been kind of surprising to Agrippa. Agrippa probably only heard the stories of the Paul of now, not the Paul of back then. He might not have known the stories of the persecuting Paul. He might have only known the stories of the Paul now, the preacher of Jesus Christ, Paul. Verse 10, he goes on to tell him how and how, how he went about it and where he was contrary to Jesus. Verse 10, this I did in Jerusalem and, and, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from chief priests. And, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. If Agrippa found it hard to believe the first thing that Paul told him about how he once stood against Jesus Christ, even though he was his biggest promoter now, I bet that Agrippa found the ways in which he previously stood against Jesus Christ even more shocking. Paul putting people in jail, 
For, just for believing on the name of Jesus Christ and then the unthinkable. Think about it. Paul being an accomplice to murder, which today in our legal system, I'm sure Rome was the same way. You being an accomplice to murder was actually as if you murdered yourself. That's how you'd be tried. And then he didn't just do all that in Jerusalem. No, 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 no. He put many of the saints in prison and he went far and wide. He went to Jerusalem and then he went outside of Jerusalem, all the way even to Damascus, and just to persecute those who believed in Jesus Christ, maybe to kill them, maybe to imprison them. It's incredible. Paul's transformation is incredible. The old Paul to the new Paul. Many times after someone gets to know the me of today, and the Lord gives me an opportunity to give them the gospel call of Jesus Christ in a personal way, I will often bring up the fact that I used to be an atheist. The fact that I used to be a hardened, mean, angry, violent, abusive person that I used to be, and they'll usually tell, and I'll usually tell them how how many, just some of the awful things that I did. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, sit there and 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 glorify the way I used to be because there was nothing to glorify about it. I was a horrible human being. I did a lot of evil things that I'm not proud of now. And so I just tell them just to give them a picture of the me now versus the me then. Just give them a picture of who I was. And I would just tell them just a few of the things that I used to do. And then they always tell me, wow, I can't believe you of today came from him. Really? Did I? And it's almost, some of them almost don't believe me. I come on, I can't. I don't believe that. Well, Paul here, same thing. Paul, Paul is this greatest preacher of Jesus Christ on the whole earth at this point. He's talking to Agrippa, yet he tells Agrippa, "Well, here's what I was, Agrippa." But I tell you, this is what happens when you accept the gospel call of Jesus Christ on your life, and you make a decision to surrender. And follow him, as is the response that Jesus wants from someone whom he calls. Uh, Once you've made these decisions in your life, I can tell you that even if you make them and you come, and then you end up even falling away, you'll never be the same. You'll never, there's always something different about you. You've, you've cha- you, you change. God changes you. I, I heard a preacher once say that if you stood on the train tracks and a, and a, and a 20-ton train comes down the tracks and a 20-ton train hits you and you don't move out of the way, you'll be changed forever. You, you would not be hit by a 20-ton train and then stay the same. You'd be dead. And not only would you be dead, you, you would probably be a, a, a stain on the railroad tracks, the train going that fast. He, he might hit you, then you might fall, and you might just be splattered to nothingness. Well, same as with God. When you really, truly meet God, when you truly, truly, truly accept the gospel call of Jesus Christ on your life, he's bigger than a 20-ton train. He's way bigger than a 20-ton train. Except he doesn't, he doesn't get a hold of you and kill you. He gets a hold of you and he transforms your life for his glory. How did Paul's transformation happen anyway? Look at verses 12 through 15. He tells Agrippa, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, because he was Saul of Tarsus. He wasn't Paul at that point. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul recounts to Agrippa the account of of his gospel call of Jesus Christ. He was on the road to Damascus, heading there to give the Christians there, uh, the residents there, the, the, the biggest surprise of their lives, coming to persecute them, coming to put them in prison, coming to maybe even put some of them to death. Paul didn't care. Christians were like maggots to be stepped on and squashed and be gotten rid of. And he informs Agrippa that he traveled there with letters of approval and permission from the religious leaders to do so. That should have given Agrippa a kind of idea of how the religious leaders and the Jews really were. 
Anyway, Paul, both they and Paul were rotten, evil people. Of, of course, Jesus Christ got a hold of Paul and he changed. Religious leaders, they don't want to change. They still want to kill Paul to this day. But then he says, he's almost there. He's just, just kind of reached. I kind of just see him. Just it's in, Damascus is in the horizon. right? He's almost there. And he's ready to do dirty deeds to innocent Christians. And then Jesus, the one whom Paul now preached to be the Messiah, the Jewish Christ, right? The one who died, but then came back to life, affirming that he was indeed God's saving Messiah. Well, he shows up and he makes himself known to Paul. First, he gets his attention, right? By shining this bright light, this bright light that brings them all to their knees. And, and not only did it bring them all to their knees, we find out other sections of Scripture. It actually, I believe, it blinded Paul because later on his... Uh, Ananias had to come, a, a, a man of God, a man of Christ had to come and kind of, you know, speak over Paul and then the scales fell from Paul's eyes, but it blinded Paul. The light of Christ like blinded Paul. It was definitely a very powerful account. Well, Jesus shows up. He reveals himself to Paul in a super powerful, supernatural way. Then he, Jesus Christ, look at verses 16 and 17. He says this, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Now, there's several purposes here. Uh, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Again, number 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, I love that Paul put that in there. Now, Paul leaves out the fact here that he accepted the gospel call on Jesus Christ. You can read it for yourselves, Acts 9, 6, where he responds to Jesus with the words, Lord, what do you want me to do? That was his surrender. That was his moment of Jesus Christ, please, I need you to save me. I'm willing to yield my life to you. I'm willing to surrender my life to you. Jesus, here I am. Whatever you want, I now believe in you. I'm now going to put my trust in you. You're my Lord. Those were his words of his gospel call moment where he accepted Christ. Paul skips just to, just to what Jesus Christ told him to do after he accepted the call, it's, it's important to know that we have a responsibility to respond during the gospel call. Just because Paul left it out here doesn't mean that it wasn't an original part of the story, which again, Acts 9, the whole chapter really there, the most of the chapter, but verse 6 where he replies, where he gives his surrender, where he gives his, his yielding of himself to Christ. But So why he skips that part? I don't know, but I threw it in there. Uh, it makes the gospel call of Christ, the whole sermon. It brings it up. We'll talk about it at the end, too. Anyway, Paul leaves it out, but he, he skips to what Jesus Christ told him to do after he accepted the call, which he did accept the call. Then Christ did tell him, which, which in the original account, we actually don't read of Jesus Christ telling Paul these things either. Well, Paul was there and he could have given any amount any 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 amount or any content of the what he heard Jesus say in any given story. It doesn't make one story wrong or one story false or or the Bible contradicting himself. Paul just choosing to tell people that he was witnessing to what he heard Jesus Christ say for, of course, specific purposes that he had for those people, God, of course, speaking through him. And he tells them, he call, you know, we know he accepted the call. Then God tells them, number one, he wants to make them a witness to others of this Damascus Road experience. Number two, he wants to make them a witness to others of things that Jesus Christ would yet reveal to him, which we don't know those things, but we know them kind of now. Number three, he says, oh, you'll do all this, but you'll de I'll deliver you from all those that I'll send you to, Jews and Gentiles alike, and I'm going to send you, here's your main mission. Mission, right? Your main mission is to open people's eyes to the fact that they are in the darkness of the evil one or that they're lost in sin and not in the light of God or his Christ and help them come to be of God in Jesus Christ so that they can receive the forgiveness of their sins and be saved. What a mission. What a mission for Paul. Now, you may be thinking that was only for Paul. But just a big shock to you, if, if you love Jesus Christ and you say you love him today, and you say you're born again today, 
And I say, are you abiding in Jesus Christ today? Which means that you're continuing to endure. That you haven't fallen away back into your old backslidden and your old lifestyle. And you're still walking with Jesus Christ. That call was not only for Paul. That call was to all Christians everywhere. Maybe not, and obviously not, to everyone to the magnitude of Paul. But that call to Paul was a call to all Christians that would ever, that all people that would ever come to be Christians, period, the end. Okay? Christians, you didn't get saved to sit on a couch and sip iced tea and watch a TV preacher or do this or that or watch Bible, you know, watch a. a Listen to the listen to a TV preacher, or you didn't even get saved to sit at home and only listen to me on the computer. If you've been redeemed and you're abiding in Christ, God has a mission and a plan for your life to use you for his kingdom. I ask you today, what are you doing after now you've been saved? What are you doing? With your salvation, what are you doing after now you've accepted the gospel call of Jesus Christ now that you're born again? What are you doing for his kingdom? Because again, God didn't save you to sit down and relax and watch, you know, watch church on TV and just chill out and relax. He saved you for a purpose. Moving forward, we still got a lot of verses to cover. What is Paul's response to the gospel call of Jesus Christ in his life? He kind of tells him here, verses 19 and 20, but he doesn't give us Acts 9, 6 words. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, basically he tells him here, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, which is there. He's kind of telling him, but he leaves out the words. He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, that they should turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Paul accepted and turned to Jesus Christ and surrender first. Remember Acts 9, 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he goes on to say, which kind of he said there, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. And then he goes on to say, and, and then proceeded to do the things that Jesus Christ told him to do and to tell others the things that Jesus Christ told him to say. Uh, the majority of the book of Acts, by the way, is full of what Paul had done for Jesus Christ. And Paul was a mighty man and a mighty obedient man to the Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, which is all men or women, uh, to stress the word on all. If you have all of a pie, how much do you not have? Will you have you don't have any. You have all of it. You don't. There's none that you don't have. You have all. And God desires all men, and we know women, children. Of course, men was just a, a word that meant people, right? God desires all men, all people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, but be, just because God wants people to be saved, sadly, that doesn't mean that all people will accept his offer of the gospel call. They have to respond to Jesus Christ from their heart, both like I and Paul did uh, on our knees and in desperation before God. Paul, Acts 9, 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? My words, when God came to me, called me, I said, Jesus, I need you. It wasn't the prayer that saved me or it wasn't the words that saved Paul. It was the yielding of our hearts in that prayer, uh, the yielding of our hearts, of course, coming first so that salvation can't be by works, but the yielding of our heart to the gospel call and then a profession of, hey, Jesus, I need you. I can't live without you. You know, save me. Uh, responding to him the way he says that we must respond to him for salvation, which is the very same things that Paul tells Agrippa of in verses 19 and 20, that he preached in Damascus, Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea and the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Repentance, of course, as I just mentioned, and I'll explain it a little bit now, is a, repentance is of the heart. It's of an inward uh, heart change. It's not of an outward working. Uh, re repentant, there's two types of repentance in the Bible. There, there's repentance for an unsaved person, and there's repentance for a saved person. Repentance for an unsaved person can't be by works because salvation's not by works. And so what happens in 
in the heart. It's just a, a waving of the white flag of surrender when, when God comes and you just want to yield yourself to him, surrender to him, which is how we get saved, which is how someone comes to be born again and someone comes to be a Christian. Well, then once you're a Christian, once you are born again. You know, you have a long life to live. Most people have a long life to live after they get saved. And of course, we're all unfortunately going to still sin. It's the heart condition behind our sin. The way we stay right with God is to have the right heart condition with, with towards sin, which is don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oh man, I blew it. But then when we blow it, the important thing is not to get stuck on stupid and stay in the blowing it, but it's to confess our sins for his faithful and just forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And so this is the repentance for a believer. You're a believer, you're saved, you're born again, you do something wrong. God says, no, son, you know, I don't want you doing that. And you go, oh man, God, I'm sorry. Uh, help me not to do that. I'm going to change my ways on that. That's repentance for a believer, but that didn't save them. They were already saved. That just repent. That just turned them back toward God because they had just sinned and kind of gone away from God. Anyway, the whole of everyone's life, I love it there, that God desires from all mankind is wrapped up in all the words that I just spoke of Paul's teachings, that they should repent and turn to God. And, and then, uh, of course, he says, do works fitting of repentance. He, can, he concludes his testimony, his defense, and his witness to Agrippa of Jesus Christ with these words, verses 21 through 23. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Agrippa now knows fully, right from Paul's mouth, even in this situation firsthand, why the Jews wanted him dead. Now, there's no more questions. He spoke it in their language. This is it. This is, this is what they know. Now he knows. Verse 22, Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great. Paul acknowledges that God is the one that has kept him alive to stand and fulfill the mission he's given to him, as he said he was going to from the very beginning, to all kinds of people, poor and lowly and rich and powerful, like where he is now. The saying goes on to finish verse 22, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Telling people of the Jesus that saved him, the one that both Moses as well as David the prophet, as well as all the prophets of old, and the Old Testament of God's word said was coming. Right? Look at verse 23, and then we'll go over some verses, some other verses that kind of play in. Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, which they indeed do, and yes, believe it or not, all the way from Moses to Malachi, right? All the whole entire Old Testament. Where did they do these things? Genesis 3.15, speaking of Moses, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was before Moses, Genesis 3.15. So yes, all the way from even before Moses, that actually was a, was a prophecy given all the way actually back to Adam and Eve. So, that, so Moses knew of it. So, of course, Moses had his own things, and of course he confirmed about that. But he shall bruise his head, and you, and you shall bruise his heel, speaking about how the Christ would come, defeat the devil, but the devil would bite him, of course. And, of course, we know that he was murdered. The devil had him murdered. Psalm 1610, this would be David now. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, this was the Christ raising from the dead, right? David foresaw his ancestor, his great, 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 I don't know how many greats, down the line, because Jesus was of the line of Judah, of the tribe of, you know, of David and of the line of Judah. And of course, David saw that God was not going to allow the Christ, basically his body, to just decompose in the earth like everybody else's body decomposes in the earth. God was going to raise him from the dead. And of course, Isaiah 49, 6, just giving you a, a kind of a broad spectrum here of all the places, or some of the places that God pointed out those things that Paul just said were preached from Moses all the way through the prophets. Indeed, he says, Isaiah 49, 6, Is it a small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve ones of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth, speaking of the Messiah. Now, really, 
Those were only just speaking a few. I really, as I was meditating on this kind of section uh, the other day when I was preparing this message, I really thought I could honestly, uh, you guys know what I can do with just even one verse. If you've been following me for a long time, I, I, can, I can go one verse, I could go probably an hour or two hours, one verse. I could literally, to go in, in the depths that God would give me, I could probably teach on a, probably several months every week I could go through, you know, just one or a part of one and then one and then maybe, you know, do one but space it out over a month. All the different scriptures that speak about the Messiah coming, doing all the things that Paul just said that he was going to do. I could speak to you for months and weeks on end, the weeks of months. So hour on hour and hour and hour and hour, three, four, five months, every week. We could go through all these prophecies, all these scriptures that the Bible says about the Christ of the Old Testament, uh, or the Christ coming now of the Old Testament, that he was to come and do those things that Paul said. Obviously, for today, I'm not going to do that. One of the biggest ones, though, I could probably teach on this one for two or three weeks. Easy would be the end of Isaiah 52 and the whole of chapter 53 of Isaiah. These, these, are, these are some of the most powerful scriptures of the Messiah and the picture of him and his, 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 how he would come and what he would look like and the things he would do and how he would, uh, that he would die and that he would rise again. It's just the most, one of the most powerful scriptures about the Messiah and what he would do in all the Old Testament. Again, Isaiah 52, end of 52, and the whole of chapter 53. Anyway, to all of this amazing, getting back to our verses in our scripture, to all this amazing, wonderful, and powerful news that Paul just gave him here, look who steps up and replies, and look how, verse 24, now is he, which would be Paul, thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, now it is a loud voice now, okay, so he meant to interrupt him, he meant to shut him up and stop him, loud voice, Paul, yeah, I could hear him, you're beside yourself, much learning is driving you mad, basically, Festus just called him crazy. Paul now was talking to Agrippa, but Festus just couldn't help himself. Basically, again, calling Paul crazy, right? And I think he did this because Festus was rejecting the call, the gospel call on his life. Because, of course, they're all there. Paul's not only speaking to Agrippa, he's speaking to the whole auditorium. And he's speaking about these things, about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he's actually bringing in proof. Hey, all the scriptures, even from Moses all the way to all the prophets, hey, they even prophesied of this Messiah that was going to come and do all these things. And, of course, now we're getting to the pinching point. The pinching point where it's like, oh, man, oh, wow, that's really true, isn't it? Oh, Oh man, oh I can't oh you're right. Oh so now you got like the breaking point, right? Remember what we talked about, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, leaving last week. I can't remember this point now. But when 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 people are in uncomfortable situations or really in any situation that they're in in their lives, they got two responses. Right? Fight or flight. They either fight and stay, which not don't think of it like fight like battle fight, like angry fight, but fight like stay, stay in the fight, like stay in the conversation. Or they got the flight, right? Flee away. I'm getting out of here. Oh. So here we see Festus. What's he doing? Well, he's fleeing away. <laughs> he's fleeing away. God's calling him through Paul, through the Holy Spirit. He's calling him and he's rejecting. Remember, Bible says that God desires all to be saved, which means that he'll have to call all people. I mean, it's just simple logic. I, I, I never saw that so clearly as I saw that during this sermon, during this preparation of the sermon. If God, 1 Timothy 2.4, if God desires all to be saved, well, then he's got to offer salvation to all as well, too. You can't expect or you can't want something. Oh, man, I want all the pizza. But if you only had half the pizza, or if the whole, if the whole pizza was there, but then you only really wanted a half, you wouldn't say all. If you wanted all the pizza, you'd want to pick up every piece and you'd want to try to eat every piece. So here, in order for God to want all to be saved, he's got to offer salvation to all. So here, Festus is being offered that salvation by the Holy Spirit. And here, he's rejecting. He's not accepting like I and Paul have done. 
He's rejecting the gospel call. And now, even though Festus was rude and interrupted Paul when he was talking to Agrippa mostly, Paul doesn't hold it against him. He doesn't get angry. Look what he does, verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, so I'm not crazy, Festus, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I'm not crazy. Listen, I'm just telling you guys about everything that's happened to me. And I'm telling you guys, the things of the Word of God, these things that were prophesied way before we were ever alive, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Agrippa, you know when Moses was alive. Again, you're no stranger to the Jews. You know Moses was like, you know, two or three or four or five, two or three or whatever thousand years ago. And these, these things spoken about the Messiah, they're all true and they've all been written. I'm just repeating to you the truth of the scripture. Uh, notice again, Paul doesn't get angry or short with Festus. He just replies to him and then transitions towards Agrippa very subtly, as I'm sure they were kind of all sitting together, Agrippa and Festus and Bernice. Look at verses 26 27. Look at what it does next. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, notice how he mentions the king there, knows, knows these things. So again, Agrippa, very knowledgeable, a very friend of the Jews. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. In a corner, remember, Jesus Christ wasn't quiet, right? He was a bold and mighty preacher for God, and of course, everybody knew that Jesus was who he says he was, and everybody kind of knew what he was preaching. And, and he didn't kind of just do this quietly. He didn't just come to one house and say, "Okay, keep this quiet. I'm gonna, I'm the Messiah." And poof, poof. I'm going away. No, 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 no. He, he went throughout all the lands that he went, dozens of lands that he went through, and all huge areas and regions. And of course, Agrippa, which was a powerful man for, the, for Rome, not so powerful as you go back in his history a little bit. He kind of came to power more as he got older, as the Caesar thought he was too young to obtain too much power too quickly. But so, nevertheless, Paul knows that he knows he references Agrippa not to be rude to Festus, not to be angry with Festus, but just to kind of transition back towards Agrippa because Agrippa, Paul's got his, he's got his eyes set on this man. And of course, Paul, and then Agrippa, of course, as Paul points out, he knows the things that he's talking about because listen, Again, like I said, Agrippa was in the area. Agrippa would have known, would have heard the stories, would have heard about Jesus Christ. So Agrippa knew these things. Look at what Paul does next right to Agrippa. Verse 27, he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. I know you do believe. He pressures Agrippa with the big question. Do you believe the things that I say about Jesus Christ, that they're true from all the prophets? Paul wanted to know if Agrippa would respond favorably to the gospel call that God was giving to him for his life, to come to Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with him, to be saved by him. Two things. Is Agrippa convicted by God's Holy Spirit? I believe so, as we're going to see here in the next verse. Does Agrippa yield to the calling of the Holy Spirit to begin his journey towards Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ and relationship and surrender? Does he respond favorably to the gospel call? Look at verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Agrippa tells Paul that he almost persuades him to turn to Jesus Christ, which is absolutely a conviction by God's Holy Spirit. Because although God uses his kids to tell others about Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he does the calling of the heart himself. So God was definitely calling Agrippa. Agrippa definitely felt the call, the gospel call of Jesus Christ on his life. But sadly, Agrippa declines the gospel call. He declines God's offer of relationship with him in this life and eternal life forever with him once this life is over. Paul responds very honestly, verse 29, as we're getting toward the end here. And Paul says, I would, and which means that I will, I would that God, I wish that God would not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Uh, Agrippa I want this whole auditorium 
to come up and born-again salvationists. I would love to lay my hands on every one of you and the Holy Spirit fill you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling you right now. Hey, I don't want you to be prisoners for Jesus Christ, but I would love it right now if every single one of you would turn to Jesus Christ right now and get saved. Again, Paul uttering 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Sadly, to both God's desire and Paul's desire for all these there to, to respond, to repent, to turn to Christ, look at how at least Agrippa, Festus, and Bernice responded. Uh, they don't respond favorably, sadly, verses 30 and 32. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them, and when they had gone aside, they talked amongst themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All three stand up. All three, I see, feel the heat of the calling of the gospel call of Jesus Christ to come to Jesus Christ. And they basically all walk off or away from Paul. And we're, that's where we see Paul or Agrippa find Paul innocence like we talked about last week. But that's also where we see all three make a huge resounding decision to flee or take flight away from the gospel call of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to set this auditorium that was full of important, rich, and powerful people according to the flesh, free in the salvation of Jesus Christ from their bondage of sin, which enslaved them in this life and that was taking them to hell in the next life. And Agrippa wanted to let Paul go free uh, had he not asked to be judged by Caesar. But, but what Agrippa didn't understand is although Paul, according to the flesh, was a prisoner of the flesh and in chains in the flesh, he was free in Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to do for him and the rest of those in the auditorium. But they loved their power. They loved their riches. They loved their wealth. <sighs> Jesus Christ said, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God will call everyone with the gospel call of Christ. For God, as I pointed out simple logic earlier, for God desires all mankind to be saved. He couldn't desire everyone to be saved, but not offer people the opportunity to be saved. Again, this is just simple logic. God called even the rich and powerful here through Paul. Bernice, uh, Felix had his chance before. Festus, Agrippa, they all had their chance. They all had their opportunity to be saved. Paul through the witness of the Holy Spirit to them. Hey, guys, come. Come to me, Jesus said to them. To their heart of hearts, Jesus Christ said, come to me. Come. Come on, Bernice. Come on, Agrippa. I want you. Come to me. He called them. He's calling people still. Has he called you yet? Do you know? Jesus Christ is calling you to come to him right now through his Holy Spirit, through my mouth, through this message, in case you didn't know. That's what he's doing right now. He loves you, and he showed you he loved you, living for you, dying to pay for your sins, and then rising from the dead to defeat death, to save you from your sin and your rebellion against him. The sin and rebellion against him that you were born in. That's everybody's born and sin and rebellion against God. That's just the human heart. Now, if you've never been called by God in the gospel call of Christ, you have now. And now, it's up to you as to what you do with that call in your heart. God doesn't want you to go out now and start living the most holy life that you can live and, and, and going to, you know, be, being in the Bible 24 hours a day, seven days a week because you're trying to, you know, make God happy or please God. Because remember I told you earlier, that's bad religion. God wants you today to start to come to Him, just to come. 
and then he'll work out all the rest. He'll put that, he'll put that heart of obeying him and doing the things for him, he'll put that in you if you just come. Jesus again, Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's all he wants to do right now. He wants you to come to him. Now, I'm going to cover it one more time for today, how God wants you to come and respond to his calling, just a little bit more in depth. But just understand, we've already talked about it much in this sermon. I just want to break it down to you. This is where the Bible tells you how to respond. Uh, many teach and preach that, oh, it's just this prayer. Oh, just, just say this prayer after me. Oh, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, I need you. That's a work. If we're praying for salvation just because we think I'm going to pray for this salvation, then that means that we prayed for the salvation. That's a work. can't work your way to salvation. But how the Bible says to respond to Jesus Christ, now that you've gotten your gospel call, here's how he wants you to respond. In just the same words that Jesus gave, the ones that I've kind of given and alluded to throughout the whole message, but Matthew 16, 24, 25, he says this, If anyone desires to come after me, now you've got your gospel call. What is your heart? What is, what, what, what's God speaking to your heart? God's saying right now, come to me. He's doing the work. He's beckoning you. He's calling you, right? But if anyone desires to come after me, Jesus says here, Matthew 16, 24, let him deny himself. And as I've alluded to already in the message, denying yourself is, is in your heart of hearts making a decision to say, I'm wrong. Wow, you know what? I've, I'm a, I've, I've lived against Christ. I've, I've lived against God. I need, I need Jesus. I, no, I can't live anymore without him. And, and then in your hearts, yielding to that call of God. Yielding to that call of Jesus Christ. Yielding, saying, all right, Lord, I need you. Save me, please. In, in your heart of hearts, it's a decision that you make. In your heart of hearts, it's not words. Words come after that happens. But he, he's looking for you. Are, are you willing today? Now that you've got the gospel call, are you willing today to, in your heart of hearts, surrender? Say, all right, Lord, you know what? You take the throne. Now, I, I, I've screwed, like, like me, I say it often. I screwed my life up before Christ. I screwed my life up. I ran my life, man. I ran it. I ran it. But I ran it like a 700-power supercharged, you know, massive sports car. And I grinded the gears and I ran it into the ground. Hitting bumps and jumping things and breaking the car and breaking my life and breaking the people inside my life. And sure, I ran my car. I had my wheel. And I, and I ruined my car. I ruined my life. But the old cliche thing now, which it said it's a cliche, is the Jesus take the wheel. That's the heart. Just a simple yield is, hey, you know what? I, I'm done driving. Man, Jesus, here, please. I'm done. Save me. I want to follow you. Because then he says, after you yield, after you surrender, after you make that hard choice to say, Lord, not me, you, now I want you, then he gives the religion, right? Then he says, now take up, then take up their cross and then follow me. All those things will happen for the truly converted heart. Verse 25, he goes on to give it a different way. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want to keep your life, if you want to keep driving your life, if you want to keep driving your superpowered Mustang or Camaro or Corvette, whatever you got, whatever you think of yourself as, if you want to keep driving yourself into the ground and running over bumps and hurting people inside and crashing into things, you can do that, and, but you'll lose your eternal life, he says. But whoever, he says, loses his life for my sake, whoever yields his life up, whoever makes that decision to open the, the door of their heart and, and, and in their heart say, Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. Here, take my throne. I, I, don't, I, I know I, I, I'm the boss of my life, but not anymore. You have it. But whoever loses my life for my sake will find it means find eternal life. So God's waiting for you. He's waiting for you right now. He's waiting for you to respond to his son, Jesus Christ, today. And he's, not, he's hoping that you don't wait till tomorrow because you know what? You may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow may not be in the future for you. It, it's going to be in the future for a lot of people, but it may not be in the future for you. 
Because as I told the guy, work Friday afternoon, we're walking in the doors, coming in from work, and, he, and I, we're talking about this. And I said, well, you know, he goes, oh, I, he, he, was a, he was almost 60, and I, I just turned 44 last week. And, and so I was like, well, you know, if I make it, you know, if I make it to be your age, I made that comment. And he says, oh, man, you will. And, you know, oh, you'll live past that. Oh, you, you're, you'll supersede that. I said, will I? He goes, what do you mean? I said, will I? I said, are we guaranteed tomorrow? Oh, man, oh, he felt the gospel call. Oh, I, I, I just stay prayed up. I, I just stay prayed up. Uh, he got convicted because he realized, oh, man, I may not have tomorrow. Wow. It's sobering when you think about that, isn't it? We may not have tomorrow. Any one of us, we don't know when our day is going to be done. We know we don't have tomorrow. But we got today, right now. Right now is what you have. You don't even, you're not even promised an hour from now. But you promise right now. You got it right now. What will you do with Christ's calling in your life right now? Will you run away like Bernice and Festus and Agrippa? Or will you come to? And will you yield yourself? Will you yield your heart? Will you surrender to Jesus Christ right now? Will you turn your face towards Him and stop running away? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the things that, Lord, are so evident in your word. But Lord, I'm so sad by the things that I read in your word. I'm so sad often because, Lord, I see the salvation offered to people. I see eternal life offered to people. And Lord, I see people reject that eternal life. So Lord, I just pray, God, please, for those listening here and now, Lord, that they would not be like Festus. They would not be like Bernice. They would not be like Felix. They would not be like Agrippa. They would not be like all the people of the scriptures that we read through the book of Acts that turn and run away from the gospel call of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now that those listening would turn, would fall on their faces and say, Jesus, even before words, fall on their knees and in their hearts, I need Jesus. In their hearts, yield up themselves right now to Jesus Christ and turn to Him and put their face toward Him and say, Jesus, I need You. Lord, please call them even stronger and stronger and stronger, even if they refuse now while they're listening. Please, Lord God, don't stop calling them until they yield. Thank You, Lord God. And we love You and we praise You. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.